You know, I'm glad that we can kind of come together after the summer and just kind of get into a new rhythm with school. But isn't it life still crazy? Like no matter what you try and do, what kind of um, rhythm you're trying to get into, there's still things that are going to jump out at you. And so I think that's what's important, that when we're following Jesus, we're choosing to have something that's of ultimate priority, that we're going to say everything else in our lives falls under that, and then we're going to live our lives differently that way. And so that's what we're going to be kind of jumping into today. And so we've been through this series, as John mentioned earlier, uh, a series walking through the book of Philippians. And so you've probably noticed if you picked up your Bible or you've read on the Bible app, there's only four chapters. And so this is a pretty short book, but here we like to extend things and make things longer. And so this is actually a nine-week series. And so I believe this being the fifth week, it's kind of our hump day. So it's right in the middle of this uh, book of Philippians that we're going to be diving into. And so I hope that you've been able to make connections as we've been going this through week by week, that you've been able to connect on themes that Paul is hitting on as he wrote this letter and be able to find different things as you read it. And even some of the things I'm going to say today will connect back to things we've talked about already. They're going to connect to things that we're talking about in the next four weeks after today. And so we're calling this series A Living Expression. That's the title of it because that is what we want our lives to be, a living expression of Jesus. And so this is the overarching theme to this letter. We want to create a connection between our lives and Jesus so that we can be become more and more like Jesus on a daily basis. So that in our relationship with Jesus, we are slowly but surely becoming more and more like Jesus every single day. That we, our lives could be a living expression of Jesus to those around us. And so we hope that you are making these connections to the teachings of Jesus so that others will see Jesus in you. We begin to love because Jesus chose to love. We choose to sacrifice in our lives because Jesus showed us the perfect example of sacrifice. And so like we read last week in those verses, it says this, God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God is working inside of us slowly and surely, helping us to do what is ultimately going to please him. And that's living for him and bringing others into that love as well. And so if you haven't been here or you just need a quick refresher, I just want to give you kind of three things to remember as you're reading the book of Philippians. There's three things to know about this letter that Paul wrote to this church in Philippi. And so the first one is that this is a letter of friendship. And in this culture and in this time, friendship was a huge deal. It's not maybe as fickle as we think of friendship now. Like everyone's your friend as long as they don't hate you. There's like, oh yeah, they're, they're my friend. I'm cool with them. They're my boy. But in this culture and in this time, to become friends was actually almost contractual. Like this was something that Paul was a contracted friend of this church in Philippi to the point that like they're going to love each other to the point that no, like there's no turning back. When you became friends with someone, it was like it meant that you were going to benefit them and they're going to benefit you, that you're going to sacrifice for them. They're going to sacrifice for you. It's the idea of if if like an enemy hurts my friend, that enemy has hurt me personally as well. And so this is the idea of friendship that Paul is writing to this church in Philippi. And he's he's like just 
establishing like a friendship relationship with this church. The second thing to remember is that this is a letter of exhortation. Paul is using this to like really teach and help this church through the things that they're living through. Last week, we talked about how Paul instructed them to live clean lives. This was important. This is a moral exhortation of Paul to this church saying, this is the way you should live. These are things you should shy away from. And he's literally just helping them live their lives as they grow closer to Jesus. And so then the third thing to remember is that it's a letter that would encourage them to stand firm in their community amidst persecution, amidst trials, and in the middle of heartache and heartbreak. And so these are the things that Paul is trying to teach them to walk them through. That they are friends, that they need to live rightly with God, and that they need to suffer together as a community of believers. And so when you think about this letter, and in this time we like the reason we're going through it is because this was a huge letter. And so sometimes I think in our communication now with texting and Facebook Messenger and all the different ways that we can communicate with people, we take for granted the like ease of communication that we have now. But what Paul was having to do is he was had to write a letter and then he would have to give it to a messenger and it might be days, weeks, or months before the, the letter got to the church. And then you wait back for the response. And it was just interesting. I was kind of applying it as like, who do I write emails to or who do I send messages of encouragement the way Paul is sending messages of encouragement to people? And so I was thinking back over the past year and I was remembering about my correspondence with uh, our missionary that we met with in the Dominican Republic. I have a picture of her. Her name's Jamie Bayo, and the picture is me and Danny with them um, at the end of our mission trip and their two kids. And um, it was just a great relationship that was established. But what we did beforehand, I never talked to her once on the phone. It was just all email. You send her an email in the morning. She replies in the evening. I reply the next day. She's back and forth. We're talking about planning for the trip, what we're going to be doing, just the, all the logistical things we need to remember, instructions on when we get there. Just super easy to have this communication and you feel totally established in what you're going to be doing. You're confident that things are going to work out. But put yourself in this culture is like, this is like hard communication when you're having to wait months to hear back from someone. When you're waiting months to hear back on a letter of friendship that you're using to encourage someone else. We have so much ease of communication that sometimes it's hard for us to put ourselves in the foot, the feet of Paul as he's writing this. And so it's always important to remember that what we read last week as we jump into this next passage of scripture, Paul just finished telling the church to shine brightly for Christ, to not give up, but to continue offering their lives as a sacrifice to God and that he is going to be celebrating with their joy. And so that kind of hopefully gets us to a little bit of common understanding of this letter, the situation that Paul's writing to about encouraging this church. And so then I'm going to read Philippians 2, 19 through 30. I'll take a break in the middle real quick just to explain some stuff, but then we'll kind of jump in about what we can grab from this uh, text today. And so let's jump in in Philippians 2, 19. And this is Paul. He's saying, if the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus, Jesus Christ. But you know, you know how Timothy has proved himself. 
Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. And so Paul loves this church so strongly. He loves them so much that like he wants to know what's going on. He wants to know what's happening in the church. And so he can't go. He's in prison. And so he's like, I'm going to send Timothy to you as soon as I can. He's like one of my most trusted friends. I'm going to send him to you so that he can come back and tell me what is going on with your guys' church. And so then he continues on and says this. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. And just so you know, Epaphroditus is a person. You know, it's not like some weird thing. You know, I was like, after today's talk, people are going to want to name their kids Epaphroditus, I think. That's going to be the new name of 2020 next year. So write it down. Anyway, Paul continues on. He says, he's a true brother, a co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. And so just to kind of get you all on the same page, the Philippian church because they're such good friends with Paul, they wanted to bless him with a gift. And so what this church did was they came together, pooled their resources, and then decided to send a gift to Paul. And so again, this is super easy because they were just able to Venmo Paul like the money that he needed. And so it was just simple, you know, like instantaneous, the money was transferred and it was totally good. I mean, not really. They, they had wire transfers. So it took a like three day thing. They had to go to the bank. No, still, that didn't work. And so what happened was they couldn't even write a check. It's not like they could send a check and, you know, mail it in the mail. What they had to do is physically get someone and take the gift to Paul. And so the person tasked with that job was Epaphroditus. And so he makes it to Paul with the gift. And so this is kind of Paul's explanation. And he continues on about Epaphroditus. He says, I'm sending him because he has been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you'll be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. And so when you read and begin to study this passage of Scripture, you can easily just glance over this part and go to the next part of Philippians 3. is kind of where the bread and butter of Philippians begins. But what's important to realize is that Paul is easing the nerves of the, of the Philippian church. He's reassuring them that Epaphroditus did what they instructed him to do, that he delivered the gift, but he had a delay, that he was sick and that he's sending him back so that they don't have to worry about him. Because again, it's not like you can go on Facebook and see, like I remember my mom was sick, every day I was posting updates, but like they're just waiting to know what is going on in people's lives and they have to wait days and weeks or even months to hear back for these things. So Paul's like, I'm gonna send him back to you so you know he's good and that he delivered the gift. You don't have to worry that he kind of took the money and ran. He did what he was instructed to do. He's a coworker and laborer with me and you should welcome him with open arms and love him when he returns. And so some scholars explain that the part of this gift was the, uh, that Epaphroditus was going to stay with Paul to serve him. Like the original intention was that Epaphroditus was supposed to take the gift 
take it to Paul, and then stay with Paul and serve with him for a time. But this is why, like, Paul is saying this. He's like, he's, he delivered. This is, he's not in trouble. I'm sending him back to you so that he, you know he's okay. And so I just want to just clarify really quick. When we go through a series about Philippians, and you're kind of jotting out the outline, like, this is not the most exciting passage of Scripture when you're saying, oh man, I hope I get to preach about Timothy and Epaphroditus and their travel plans. It's not like the, when you're looking at Scripture, you're more like last week when, when Thad gets to talk about, you know, Paul's like basically poem about how great Jesus is. That's the verse you want to talk about. Other verses, like I'm saying, come back for the next four weeks because the, you're going to love Philippians 3 and 4 about how it encourages us as a church. But not to take away from what we're going to be talking about today. There's important things to learn from it. But that's just what's the important part of studying scripture is you begin to gain a context and a true understanding of what it all means and how it all fits together. And so there are still things that we can learn from today. And so our big idea today is that we want to live a life that matters. That's our big idea today. And so you might hear that and you think, well, is this some kind of self-help talk? If you search, how do I live a life that matters on Google? There's hundreds of pages of every person's understanding of what it means to live a life that matters. And so I can pretty much guarantee that if this makes it into the internet and we're to somehow make it on a top search, it will not be what someone was intending to jump on. Because when you think about what matters in our culture and our society, what comes to our mind. We're going to think about the end of our lives and being on our deathbed and just begin to think, well, did I live a life that mattered? Did I do the things that I wanted to, that I was able to live a life that made a difference? And so we work to that moment and we think, what are the things that I'm going to need to do to make it to that time so I don't regret the things I'm going to say on my deathbed? So is it money? What matters? Is it relationships? Is it family? Is it experiences? Is it influence? We could go off and every person's gonna have a different understanding of what matters in their life. And so what you realize little by little is all of these things that matter really become brick by brick, things that build up my kingdom. Like my realm of influence is what I'm building up through my life. Is that, that, that need for me to think at the end of my life is that I lived a life that mattered is me thinking that my kingdom is something that needs to be built and needs to be strong and it needs to be lifted up. What I love about what Paul is saying about Timothy is that he says all the others care only for themselves and not what matters to Jesus Christ. And I think that's the challenge for us as followers of Jesus. We have to realize that what matters are things that matter to Jesus. That when we're choosing to live our lives, we need to begin to think, I'm gonna to choose to think about what matters in life to be things that Jesus truly cares about. It's one of the freedoms of being a follower of Jesus that I don't think we talk about enough is the freedom that we're freed from building our own kingdom and we get to join in together with others to build God's kingdom. That's why we pray, like when you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're, you're praying, your kingdom come, God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But sometimes I think we would prefer to pray, my kingdom come, God. My will be done on heaven 
as it is in earth. That we think that the way that we're living now is going to build up a better blessing for the future. And so we get preoccupied with building our own kingdom. And so in the midst of these travel plans that Paul's communicating to the church of Philippi about, he's establishing them and telling them about Timothy and Epaphroditus and telling them these are people that care about what matters. They care about what Christ Jesus cares about. And so that's the question of the day is how do we live a life that matters? And so as we go through these thoughts, I just want us to think about that. Not that we would build our own kingdoms, but that we'd begin to build God's kingdom in what we're doing. And so the way that we live a life that matters, thought one is we are having a genuine, by having a genuine care for others. One of our values here at Open Life is that we, we try to be genuine. We don't add the try because it doesn't sound as confident. We like to say we are genuine, but it's always a trying thing. There's going to be days where we feel like we're totally genuine and people can come and have a conversation with whoever it is here at church and they're going to know who they are. But sometimes things come up. Sometimes you do something and you're trying to hide it. We try and live, we live with facade to put on a good face, but we want to live with a a genuineness that people are able to connect with. And when we connect that with our care with others, we begin to truly care for them without any other ulterior motives or in being insincere. And so I just want you to think about how would you ever care for someone but not actually care for them or have concern for them? The word that, that, that Paul is using here is it's genuine concern or genuine worry for other people. Genuine worry for the welfare of this church is what Paul said Timothy had for the church in Philippi. When we care for people with, or, with ulterior motives, that's insincere. In the diction, dictionary definition, it says that's bogus, the opposite of genuine. It's bogus when we try and care for people and have concern for people, but we're doing it for our benefit or not for the benefit of the people that we actually have care for. And so what usually happens when we don't act out on this genuine concern for others is we just stop doing. We might be doing something, you know, like let's use the big give. It's coming up in November, and I hope you're getting ready for it. It's going to be a great time. It's on the calendar on the Next Steps page. But as you are doing that, you don't just sign up because it's going to be a fun time. You do it because you want to have a genuine concern for the people in our community that won't have a Thanksgiving meal so that you can connect your concern with an action of service. And so what happens is if we don't have that genuine concern, what happens is oftentimes we'll just stop doing the things that need to be done in our community. The places that God wants us to be and be present, if we don't have that genuine concern, then we won't begin to act on those things. Paul said, he said, I have no one like Timothy who genuinely cares for the welfare of the Philippians. Paul sent Timothy because he was going to love and care for the church in Philippi with the same love that Paul had for them. He was like-hearted with Paul. He was, another word, like-souled. He was like one with Paul so much that his love was the same love for the church in Philippians. And so that's the goal kind of what we want to build here at Open Life when we gather together, that we would become like-souled in our love for our community. 
that we would become like-hearted in the way that we try and be present with those in our lives. And so it's almost like we would be able to say, we have no one like you, everyone here, who genuinely care for the welfare of the Bonnie Lake community. Or for like maybe you're, you work in the White River School District. We have no one like you who genuinely care for the welfare of the White River School District and the schools and children that are a part of it. We have no one like you who genuinely care for the people in Tahale, if that's where you live. We have no one like you who genuinely care for the welfare of Prairie Ridge. Wherever you are, God is calling you to have genuine care for those that are around you. You are where you are for a reason. So have genuine concern and care for those people. We live a life by, that matters by thought to serving together. This is just the natural progression of concern should turn into action. So genuine care and concern, this is what it has to turn into or else it just becomes an idea and a thought that we have that never Actually, it's like an engine that won't start. It's a great car, but if the engine doesn't start, then it's worthless. And so Epaphroditus was described by Paul as a, as a true brother, a co-worker, and a fellow soldier. Like this idea of being together with Paul is what Paul wanted to communicate. He served together with Paul just as Timothy served with him. And so if serving together is this ideal that we want to pursue, there's two dangers that we have to watch out for. And the first one is this lone wolf syndrome that sometimes happens. Is that we think we get an idea and then the only person that can work it out and do it is me. And so I'm not going to let anyone help me. I'm going to just go at this like tunnel vision. I'm going to work at it. And then when I tr people are going to try and come for along for the ride, but I'm not going to be bogged down by them. I'm going to go at this mission and goal because that's what God has called me to. And no one else is going to come along for the ride. That's one danger. The other is if like what I like to call spectator syndrome where we think that just because we show up to a Seahawks game and we're cheering in the stands, we think we actually won the game. And it's like, no, the players won the game. You were cheering them on. And I think sometimes we can do that in our faith. It's like, well, I'm there. I'm cheering people on. I'm having a great time. But are you doing anything with your genuine concern that you have for people? Have you chosen to act out the things that God has stirred in your heart? And so it's challenging what Paul is saying. But he said this, he says, but you know how Timothy has proved himself. About Epaphroditus, he says, welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve. Timothy and Epaphroditus proved themselves over and over. And Paul is saying that this is worthy of honor. And so the context of this, people prove themselves, is like this idea of being put in the fire and coming out pure is like through actions and through a sustained amount of time of serving with Paul. Paul saying they have proven themselves. And this is what we should be working at. That we would choose to be active in our faith and joining together and serving with other people so that we can begin to prove ourselves in our relationship with Jesus. That we begin to see the fruits of our labor. That we begin to do the things that God wants us to do. What if it was written of Epaphroditus? What if Paul wrote that section and he said, Epaphroditus served as if he were an only child, shared no amount of the workload, and was like a deserter for the cause? That's not what you want to have written of you. 
You want to be written of as a co-laborer, a co-worker, a fellow soldier in the things that we're doing. Serve together. And so the question is, what could be written of you? Are you serving together or alone? Are you trying to serve from the sidelines or are you in the game? And it reminds me of Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul writes about being one body in many parts. Sometimes we like to uplift the, the roles and the jobs that are most glamorous. Sometimes we want to do maybe the easiest job. And so we, we don't even think about what we're actually gifted at, but we think about a, a role and we pigeonhole ourselves. But what's great that Paul is continually does, talks about throughout Scripture is that as the church— as the global church, we are one body with many parts. As a local church, open life, we are one body with many parts. So the question is, are you doing what you're, are you bringing action to your genuine concern by serving together with others? So this kind of moves us um, along to thought three. We live a life by matter. We, oh man, we live a life that matters by thought three, being willing to risk for the gospel. And so Paul commands Epaphroditus, or he commends him for risking his life for the work of Christ. He like, he says, you know what? Epaphroditus got really sick on his journey. In, in a sense, he was risking his life for the cause of Jesus. And what I find really interesting is that Epaphroditus probably didn't choose in the moment when he was going. He wasn't saying, yeah, I'll risk my life for this. But it happened to him. He was put in a situation, and he came through and succeeded. It kind of reminded me of the, our teams that went on missions trips this summer. You know, all the news before we go into the Dominican Republic is how all the tourists were dying. If you travel from the U.S., they're like, you're going to die if you do anything there. And so it creates this fear and worry in a team when you're going to the Dominican Republic. I can't tell you how many people, they're like, oh, I was you know, getting off time at the YMCA, you know, trying to get arrangements. I'm like, oh, where are you going? The Dominican Republic. And they're like, ooh. They're just like, yeah, they're like, have fun with that. And it's like, I'll be back. I'm not worried. It reminded me of the Indonesia team who like went to Indonesia and found out there's 150 earthquakes going on at the time. And it's dangerous and it's worrying. Like in a sense, risking their life for the cause of Jesus. But they didn't choose to do that at the beginning. It was a situation that was presented to them and they succeeded and came through it. And so I think like that's what's important. And it, like if you're interested in doing a mission trip, this is my little uh, promo. Um, on October 20th, we're going to have an informational meeting after service because we're getting dates on for next summer to go back to the Dominican Republic. And uh, it's going to be a great time. And so if you haven't watched our highlight from about five weeks ago, four weeks ago, um, go onto the app, go onto the website and watch our little mission trip thing. You'll get to see pictures and stories of what we did. It'll be similar to that trip. And so I want to just kind of say that if you're interested, you should be here on the 20th. We'll give you all the details for that. And if it's something you or part of your family want to do together, we would love to have you come with us. But when we're talking about being willing to risk for the gospel, it's not like I'm asking you to make crazy decisions and just do things that are reckless and just pray and hope that God's going to deliver you out of it. But what I am saying is that going back to living a life that matters, I think sometimes we let our pursuit of what we think matters dictate what risks we're willing to take. 
In our pursuit of more money, we might take a new job. That new job probably has new risks involved. It has new hours. It has new coworkers. Maybe new benefits, a new commute. All with the payoff and with this idea of a new paycheck and probably more money and a new position and probably better benefits. And I'm not knocking, you know, job positions and job transitions. But we begin to think of all these things that we're willing to risk for a paycheck. We take risks all the time for things that we think that matter. We risk for a new house. Maybe we risk for a relationship, for our family, maybe even for power or influence in certain situations. Then what do we always follow up with that? We say, God, bless me in this endeavor. God, bless me in this risks that I'm taking. And so sometimes I think we, that order is a little out of whack. Maybe if we changed our minds about what truly is most important and what truly matters in our lives, that would help us to be willing to risk for the good news of Jesus in our daily lives. The question is, how do my everyday decisions, the big ones and the small ones, affect the matters of Jesus in my life? What would happen if we asked ourselves before we go to any decision, is how is this going to affect my relationship with Jesus? I think it begins to change our mindset and our mentality of what it means to build our kingdom or what it means to build God's kingdom. And so you're going into a new position at a job or you're going for a job promotion. I'm not saying don't go for it, go for it, but go for it and with the understanding of how it's going to affect your relationship with Jesus how it affects your relationship with your family that God wants you to build? How does it affect your relationship with your neighbors that God wants to build? How does it affect everything? And so then you begin to see everything almost through a different lens that says, no matter what's going to come my way, I know that God is guiding me and shaping me. I've put things down according to his will, and I'm choosing to live my life differently. And if you need an example of this, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles Maybe when you go home today, you'll open it up to Matthew 4, and you'll see Jesus, who's tempted three times by Satan right before his ministry is about to begin. And Satan tempts him with things that matter to our society even today. Things like power and influence, things like position, things like just natural hunger. And Jesus says, no, like I don't live by bread alone, but I live by the words that come from the mouth of God. And so he resists all these things. And it's a cool story because then what happens, Jesus starts his ministry and then he begins to go to the lake and there's people doing their acts of commerce. They're doing their jobs out on the lake. They're fishing for not only food, but for their livelihoods. And what does Jesus call them to do? He calls them to follow him. And so when you read the passage of scripture, it says these disciples literally dropped their nets and chose to follow him. Even some of them were leaving their father to do it. And so sometimes I think we put all these things in the hierarchy of our lives and we put them above God. It's like, yes, money matters, God. Yes, relationships matter. Yes, my family matters. Yes, the, all these things and say, yes, then that's where you fit in, God. You're right at the bottom. Will you bless all these things? When if we chose to look out for what matters to Jesus first, he fits in everything else under these, so underneath those things and helps us live our lives differently. 
a life that truly risks for the good news of Jesus, for the gospel. And so today our action point is that we would pursue what matters, that we would take all this stuff that we talked about. It's like funny, when you read the scripture, you don't think you're going to come and talk about a message. You think literally Paul is talking about travel plans. He's telling the church that I'm going to try and come, but if I can't come, I'm sending Timothy. And right now I'm going to send Epaphroditus. That's the gist of this passage. But when you dive in and you see why these people were chosen and you see the way they were living in their lives, I hope we can be challenged by them to live a life that matters because we pursue what matters to Jesus. And so sometimes I think we can get scared when we try to do some of these decisions might actually means we change the way we live. And so when we do that though, it's important that we know what we're building our life on. That was a perfect song to kind of end before we started talking today is that I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. Luke 6, 47 through 49 is Jesus talking. And this is what he says about those who choose to follow Jesus and choose to put all their trust in him. He says, I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching and then follows it. It It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays a foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation when the floods sweep down against that house. It will collapse into a heap of ruins. When we pursue what matters to Jesus, we're building our lives on solid ground. And so if that's not true for you, if you've never maybe even felt the sense that a life built on Jesus is one that is solid, I want you to be encouraged today and to find time as we worship to just give those things to God and say, God, let me see that. Let me realize it. and Let me begin to act on it. When we try and build our lives on anything else, on the things that we think matter, we realize that those things are going to fade. You don't want to get to the end of your life and be able to say, you know what? I didn't do anything that mattered. And so today, as Mandy sings and leads us in worship, I just want you to kind of process and think about just these thoughts that we would choose to pursue what matters to Jesus, not because our culture says it's cool. I don't think, I think if Jesus were alive today, I don't think he'd be cool. And that would really hurt people because they would think that Jesus isn't doing, because Jesus wasn't building his kingdom. He was building God's kingdom. And so I hope that we can let that process and simmer in our lives and let it turn to action as we go throughout the rest of this day, the rest of this week, in a year from now, that you'd be able to see a life pursued after what matters to Jesus is one that's built on solid ground. So I'm going to pray, then we'll stand and we'll worship, and then Thad will come and close the service. But God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, God, that you speak to us through the smallest of things, God, even through um, travel plans of Paul's. We thank you, God, that you can speak to us, that we can hear from your word, God. And I pray, Lord, that today you would just let us have... um, a new sense of urgency to pursue what matters to you, that we'd have a new courage to run after those things, God, that we would have uh, just a, a new sense of your spirit working in us, willing us forward, God, 
to pursue you, to do what pleases you in all circumstances. So God, I pray for those who come with needs and hurts and burdens in their lives. I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to them. God, let them to know how to make the right and next decision. Let them know what to do um, in a circumstance that's coming up. God, I pray, Lord, that you would speak truth and speak life into people today. God, as we spend a couple more minutes just being in your presence, God, let us lift up your name. Let us choose to commit to build our lives upon what you teach us, God, and your love. Ultimately, God, so that you are glorified and so that more and more people come into relationship with you. So we ask this in your name. Amen. So would you stand? If you need to fill out the connect card or want to do that, you can sit down and do that quick. Let's stand and worship and lift up our praise to Jesus.